0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory Glory to you, Lord. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay, I feel as though I have to do um, like a facts section, like a frequently asked questions. Uh, You know, the way the passage ends, you have the disciples uh, keeping the matter to themselves as Jesus had commanded them, right? The transfiguration, Jesus shining in in radiant glory, and then questioning what rising from the dead meant, right? In their context, uh, of, of course this was always going to be a question, because for them, the resurrection is something that happened for all people at the end of the age. So if, that, if, if the resurrection of the son of man is also happening at the end of the age, then why is that a problem at all? Why would anybody need to grapple with it? Why would anyone um, even need to tell the story given that everybody had already risen from the dead? What they don't get, and what, which is uh, a peculiar feature of Christianity is that there is, in fact, the resurrection of one person in the middle of history in anticipation of the resurrection of all people at the end of time. Uh, this is what, say, changes history uh, most thoroughly, is that Jesus, risen from the dead, now animates his body, the church, in order to be about God's purposes, bringing his healing, his hope, his, his love, his life to the world, okay? But here, the, the passage ends in confusion, we need not be confused at that, at that particular point. It's just a matter of saying they don't really—they don't really understand what Jesus is saying, what he's talking about, rising from the dead. And the only thing available to them would have been to use that by analogy. And and what kind of analogy is that? they were grappling with it they didn't understand him and it's not the only time that they don't understand Jesus so although it, although we end the gospel with it and it's like oh, that's a bit awkward it's really not that awkward it's just kind of it just seems to be part of the story Jesus says something they don't know what's going on and they follow him in faith anyway okay so i have to i have to begin then with in my preaching something of the along the same lines to say Okay, I, I'm going to anticipate the fact that I'm going to lose people as I preach. Okay, that happens every Sunday. I'm quite, I'm quite used to it. You might, you probably are used to it as well. Like, okay, I don't know what happened there, but good vibes or something. I don't, you know, I don't know. Okay, fine. This is what I, wanna, I want to say, start with the end in mind. And I want to say, I want to bring to the forefront what I think is terribly significant for us. And that's the voice from the cloud. Yeah, the voice from the cloud says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Okay, so the whole of our Lenten season, the whole of this particular action, whatever I'm doing up here in, in the Ambo today, uh, the, you know, the, the whole of our mass, the whole of our life of Christian faith is this, listening to Jesus, okay? And so we're, so we're trying to train our hearts and our minds on him, so that we can receive from him that word that he wants to speak to us today. That word is going to be love. It's going to be you know, our, the, our good, our genuine good. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's not without its challenges. And certainly where, where we are today in our own uh, situation, our, our own circumstances, you know, as people who are dearly beloved of, of God, we know just how difficult it is to receive his love, to make ourselves available to him, to receive his love, and then to be agents of of his love to the people that he is, you know, here and now entrusting to our care. So again, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus, okay? I'm not here to, to mediate your relationship with Jesus. We come to Mass so that we, witnessing Jesus, represent his sacrifice, his Good Friday sacrifice to the Father, offer ourselves along with him, right? So we get to participate in the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the core of the Mass, okay? When I go to the altar, in a minute, I'm going to stand in the person of Christ, right? In persona Christi, in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ the head. I'm going to stand in the person of Christ the head here at the altar. And then here, the divine victim, Jesus, at work, through me, is going to offer himself to the Father. And we are going to offer ourselves with him. That's the core of the Mass. There's the source and summit. Right, where you see that language, the source and summit of Christian life, that's what that is. And then we receive from the altar of sacrifice the fruit of the sacrifice, which is the risen body and blood of Jesus. Okay, so this is is what we... Anyway, I want to focus on that Uh, Briefly to say this is what our efforts are oriented towards This is an act of obedience. It is an act of listening to Jesus So we're training our hearts even now for the offering and for the reception of the great Mercy of God the love of God made flesh that we need to transform our lives to be an offering to the Father Transform our lives to be in service of him whole and entire. Okay, so that's where we're headed listen to Jesus I'm not mediating that relationship for you. Sorry to say, I'm not mediating that relationship for you. You have your own relationship with Jesus. Okay? So, yeah, be sure to speak all the words. You need to speak to Jesus. Listen to him. Listen attentively to him. Follow him in faith, just like Abraham from the, from the beginning of, of our first readings, right, This today, uh, Abraham, obedient, faithful. These are the characteristics that mark his life. The same for us. Obedience faithfulness. We're going to follow Jesus wherever he leads, okay, as he speaks the word, word of truth and of love to us, okay. I'm not even in the first part of the homily, okay? yes. Yeah. so I said, okay, this is, a, I, yeah, okay, listen to Jesus, okay? So let me move on. This, the transfiguration scene is a scene of great delight, okay? So I know we see Jesus glowing in, in radiant glory. Do you know we see Jesus we're bedazzled by him, right? He's just, you can't even take it in. And then we see, like, the, the reactions to, uh, to the spectacle, as it were. Right? You've got Peter. Rabbi, it's good that we're here. And he's got Moses and Elijah. We're going to make three tents. You know, it's like, you think Moses and Elijah are getting intense? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Okay, so, but, he, but you see the commentary as well, right? He, they hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. They're so terrified by that. Okay, so I think that's part of the scene, the kind of imposition of the scene on us. The, the glory of, of Jesus, right? the, the, the glowing, the, the radiance of, of God that we see at work in him, working through him, it's just, it's overawing, right? it's, and, it's, and it's overwhelming. And I want to say this, second Sunday Lent, it's always transfiguration. We have to cultivate something of an experience of that as well. Maybe the time to cultivate the experience of that is, say, immediately prior to receiving communion or coming up in the line, or maybe when, we, when we've made our way back to the pew, just to, just, to, just to cultivate what it means to have awe in the face of the encounter with Christ, in, in all His glory. I mean, His glory is not simply, um, uh, say, restrained or constrained to, to these particular historical incidents. His glory is on full display in communion. His gl- in, in, it, because it's a, it, these are great acts of self-giving, and this is the glory of God to reveal Himself to us as self-giving love. So this is this is the power that's that's at work there. Okay, that was I'm doing kind of like the abridged version. I gave if you want to show up at seven thirty in the morning, you get the Cliff's Notes of the Cliff's Notes. Okay, but this is going to be the Cliff's Notes, believe it or not. And if you want to have the full discussion, we'll spend some time. We'll spend some time. Maybe grab a beer, which means we'll be going to be outside of Lent, you know. So, but we'll figure it out. Okay. I want to look at Moses and Elijah briefly because they they appear on the scene. Go, what are those guys doing here? You know, I mean, they they didn't die, at least in the at least in the ordinary way. That was the, that's at least the common conception of uh, of Israel. Of the faithful people, there's at least that, that great strand, say, of narrative history that comes through that, that neither of them died. So I guess they're free to appear there. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. The, the idea of blurring the boundaries there of death or, or loosening its bonds or rolling it back, rolling back its rule, that's quite significant. As Jesus is going to his death to defeat death, he encounters the two who have most forcefully pushed back on its limitations, right? So, and there's, and again, great mystery there. I want to look at I look at their lives, Moses and Elijah, and see see what work they did as prophet and uprooting. They did a lot of work in um, challenging and uprooting idols. Okay, idolatry. So, this is my resolution from last Sunday. I do this kind of pray after I get up in front of everybody make a fool of myself I, I make I make resolutions you know how, how am I going to do it a little bit better next time you might not even recognize how that happens but it's in my head anyway I, th- I thought okay men, it's lent you have to talk about idols you have to talk about idolatry okay so I'm going to talk about idolatry because I have Moses and Elijah in front of me and I'm a, and and I can right I can't talk about idolatry we have to What's going on at the time of Moses and Elijah is the people are falling into slavery. The people are falling into their own kind of self willed slavery as they give themselves over to counterfeit gods. Now, this is like very often, I, want, I don't want to say always, but this is very often at the heart of addiction. We've given ourselves over to, to some enslaving force, we've worshiped at the wrong altar. And, and if we worship at the wrong altar, right, we worship at the altar of God here, we worship at the, at the altar of the God who is love, then we find ourselves more fully human as a result. We're praising him, we're pouring ourselves out to him, but, in, but we affect him, uh, he's affecting a marvelous exchange by which we're pouring ourselves out to him, he's pouring himself out to us. We're getting back more than what we're putting out. We go to worship at another altar, that's not happening. We're giving our power over to some other God who, who takes a greater and greater toll. Right? And always the promise on the horizon is that just keep worshiping at the altar and you'll have what you need. You'll have what you want. And so, and, and our desires, like what, what we want in life, are oftentimes you know, all well and good. We, we think, um, perhaps comfort, security, safety, especially safety for my children, you know, so on and so forth. There's, there's a whole bunch of things in our lives that we, that we properly want, and they're good things for us to want. How do we go about them? What do we center our lives on in order to achieve what we want to achieve? And very often we center our lives on the pursuit of power, pleasure, popularity, all the rest. I don't want to go through all of them, okay? We've got kids here. You know, it's like, we will not expose it to everyone. Okay, so we go after those things in order to get us where we want to be. And the harder we go after those things, the more they elude us. And then that counterfeit God says, I get and do another more, just a little more. And you go, okay, I can do another whatever percent. I can do another whatever, you know, keep going, keep going. So this is, this is a self-imposed slavery, okay? And, and, the, answer, and the, the, the answer, or the way that we are liberated from slavery is not by our own strength or our own wisdom and the rest. We need the intervention of God in order, to, in order to effect a renewal in us that will allow us to live according to his plan and purpose, that will allow us to live as he always intended us to live. But... But the way that is affected, just that we have to uproot the idols or allow God to uproot the idols in us, and then find instead at the center of our lives and, and our lives centering on Christ Jesus. Because, the, because uprooting idols is not enough. We need also to replace. Yeah, you know, it's like you try to uproot bad habits. You can't, except to replace them with good habits. This is, the same, this is with idolatry, the same thing, Okay. So Moses, Moses and Elijah are working that effort in order to renew the people of God. So Israel had gone astray, worshiping counterfeit gods, and then in the wake of the worship of counterfeit, counterfeit gods, which is idolatry, you see injustice, and oftentimes injustice in the extreme. And you see a lot of suffering and chaos and confusion because Israel's not able to play it, so the role that God has intended it to play. So, Moses and Elijah are are sent, right? Moses brings them out from from their slavery in Egypt. You see just how bad their slavery is because, you know, they're grumbling all the time in in the wilderness. They want flesh pots and cucumbers or something. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we prefer to be enslaved, you know? Like, sure, I make the bricks all day. You know, I'm going to bring the bricks all day. That's fine as long as I get a flesh pot, you know? It's like, okay, wow, you're really enslaved at that point, you know? might think of our quote-unquote 40-hour work week. So, you know, I don't know what, it, what it's at now, but mine's at like 120 hours, so I'm sure everybody else is, is as well. You know, so, okay, so, but we'll do it because, we, because it's just on the horizon. The goal is just on the horizon. Yeah. What do we see with Elijah? The same thing, right? Jezebel is, is wielding influence over the people, and he's there to stand in opposition to her and, and push back the, the idolatry of Baal, right? The people are sacrificing to the God, that they want to bring about the things that they want. Right, and this is a God of fertility, this is a God of, of abundance, the, the fruits of the earth, and, and the rest. They're going for it. Okay, so prophets are sent, they come, they want to, they're going to renew Israel. What does renewal, what does renewal look like? If, if the disfiguring force of idolatry is, lends itself to, or becomes, say, um, injustice, then we see renewal must be along the lines of right worship, yeah, holiness in order to affect a new rule of justice. Okay, and this is what Jesus also is online to accomplish. It's, re- it's affecting a renewal in us that brings about our holiness so that we can be people about God's work in the world, so that we can, we can be uh, agents of God's loving rule, which is the justice that he wants to bring to bear. So, okay, we are making our climb. I'm just, I think I'm going to be up here for like 30 minutes today. I just feel it, do you know? No, I'm, I know you want it, but I'm not going to. Suzanne, I've got, I I got one against probably, you know, a couple hundred, but I'm going to try to not be up here that long. Um, we are committed to uprooting idols. This is what Lent is about, Okay? Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain apart from themselves. That's a penitential journey. Who, who here has recently climbed a high mountain? Yeah, no one. You're lazy. <laughs> you got to do more difficult. We got to set set our sights. Verso l'alto, you know. We got we got to go for it. Um, it's a penitential journey. So all I want to say is that we have forty days given over to penitential disciplines. We have to climb the high mountain. So, you need to put effort into your disciplines. You, me, we need to put effort into our di- into our Lenten disciplines. So, prayer, facing, almsgiving. If you're not if you're not feeling it a little bit, turn the heat up. Okay, turn the heat up. Just one step, not a lot. But what I want you to what I want to make sure of as you do that, is that. Your step, like turning the heat up a little bit on your penitential practices of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, make sure that every step of the way yourselves. so led by Jesus up the high mountain, apart by yourselves. So it had, it's, a, it's a matter of taking a step in the journey of faith with Jesus, with Jesus. This is terribly important for us, because as we do the practical things of charity of worship, of love, as we do those, as we do the things of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, we want those to be expressive of our relationship with Jesus and the fact that he's leading us. So I don't, hmm, I was going to say, yet yeah, someone yell out a penance, but I want to, to make this into a game show. I'm not, so I'm trying to think. Okay, so let's say we are, we're not snacking. Okay, so let's say we're not snacking through Lent. Okay, oh, that was so burdensome, isn't it? No, okay. So, so let's say we're not snacking during Lent. Okay. So, as we're not snacking, is it just a matter of going along, and my blood sugar is a little bit lower than it usually is, and I'm getting annoyed more easily with everybody around me? Is I mean, is that is that what it is? And then we find ourselves more distracted, more derailed, more disfigured, even by our Lenten practices. It doesn't make any sense. But if every time I feel the pinch of not snacking during Lent, I think, oh, Jesus. And I'm not saying like, oh, Jesus, like, oh, you're so good. I love you so much. I'm going to give up snacking for you. No. I feel the pain of this, and I'm going to allow the pain to direct me to the purpose of the thing. Right? So uh, at least I remember why I'm doing it. And if I can remember why I'm doing it, then I'm taking the step up the high mountain with Jesus. Now, some of, those, some of those might not be like moves up the high mountain. But the great thing is, even if we're hanging out on the plain with our penitential practices and living them intentionally like that, when the mountain crashes into your face, you're going to say, okay, Jesus, we're together. <laughs> you know, we're going to go at, we're, we're going to climb the mountain. So, like, I didn't exactly set my sight on the mountain, but Jesus is leading me up the mountain these 40 days. Right. So many of you know, the, the penances that we take on are merely preparatory for the penances of life, and we want to handle those not disfigured by the forces of the idols and idolatry. We want, to figure, we want to handle those with the full glory of our radiant humanity. We want to take them all on so as to offer them to God and praise Him in everything, in season and out of season. And we want to make, we want to have ourselves be the vehicle that God intends us to be in those places of his light and his life and his love. Okay, so this is how it's going to happen. We're going to go. One more point. This is a bit, this is a bit choppy, but you'll appreciate it because when you take out the transition, you lose about five minutes of the homily, and it's a long one anyway. Okay, so the last point is this. Jesus wants to reveal himself. That's incredible in this, in this story because even in the Gospel of Mark, it's always a secret, yeah? And you don't even catch half of it. So like in the baptism, Jesus is the one who hears the voice of the Father and it's unclear as to whether or not anybody else hears anything or sees anything. But here, Jesus has called his followers to himself and he's showing himself in all his radiant glory. He wants to reveal himself. And when he reveals himself, we see the exchange between father and son. We see the delight that the father has in the son. Can you imagine? I mean, can, we need to imagine. Is the point? We need to spend time there. This this is a, this is a holy and a, a, a holiest scene as you're going to get. It demands all the reverence we've got. But there's such a beautiful interchange of delight here, right? Glory. Uh, interpersonal, uh, whatever, fulfillment. Like, it's just, it's a a beautiful scene to unfold, uh, scene to be part of the unfolding of. And we're right there to see uh, the glory of God. We're right there to see the beauty of of the relationship that Jesus intends to catch us up into. Because we are sons and daughters in the Son of God. The delight that God the Father has in the Son is ours as well. And that's actually then the fuel of our penitential journey because Jesus wants to reveal himself. But do we have eyes to see or ears to hear? Are our lives so trained on Jesus? Are our our habits so focused on him, his glory, his purpose for our life that we can see him where he wants to appear? We say, "I, I never see Jesus, never around. I never hear him, never. Are we open to him? Because by our by our penitential practices we, we open our hearts to receive him all the more. We open we open our, our minds to, to see his glory and receiving his glory we get to be vehicles of that same glory to everyone that he's entrusting to our care.